This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Fern Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Tonight, here I am wrapping up my little mini-series here on closing documents and, and frankly, all legal documents related to, related to the purchase and sale of mobile home parks. Today is going to be one that's... Uh, a little unique it's probably one of the more rarely used sets of documents but it's 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 asked about a lot it's it's looked into a lot and it, it doesn't it doesn't work that often frankly because there's a lot of cons to it but there are some pros and this is what i call an asset purchase agreement or basically it's it's buying the llc or buying the entity so sometimes most real estate transactions you know if i'm the buyer and you're the seller if I've got an LLC and you got it in your own name or you're the LLC, you just, I buy it. You transfer it via warranty deed, hopefully general warranty deed, from you to me. It's, that, it's pretty much that simple. And there's a certain representations and warranties in there or in the contract that hopefully survive closing if you got a good real estate lawyer. And then there's, you know, there's sometimes there's bank docs, sometimes there's not. But there's a bunch of other documents we've covered that are associated with the sale. But in certain instances... You don't want to buy the real estate, or you may not want to buy the real estate, be- because you know the key reason is you want to hide the sale. So, what is an asset per- asset purchase agreement? It's when you buy out the membership units. I'm working on one right now. It's wrapping up tomorrow, so I thought I'd uh, give a little podcast on it here today. This will this will launch a few weeks after the uh, the incident or the example, but it's it's still going to be pertinent and it basically in this case there's a there's an LLC that the seller owns and my client who's the buyer intended to and signed a contract to buy the real estate but there was a fear that the property tax assessor or appraiser was going to jack up the property taxes cuz the purchase price is many 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 multiples of what the current appraised value is at the county courthouse, in large part because the, or frankly, in all part because the county appraisal department is incompetent, which is often the case, unfortunately. Uh, my client's not overpaying by many, many multiples as much as the, the, the current owner has been getting a sweetheart deal. So that is a key pro to the asset purchase agreement. Um, another time you'd use an asset purchase agreement as a sidebar is when you're like buying out a partner. I mean, like my dad and I were 50-50 partners for many years. And at a, one point in time, it made sense for him to start to look at more estate planning stuff as opposed to you know him. If he died, now I've got more siblings in the business with me and stuff like that. So we did a buyout of something similar, but where I bought the membership units of our LLCs or the stock units, depending on the structure of the company. And, you know, and then we, 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 set, we allocated things differently. You know, later, Dad got back in on equity side of deals, but it was, we had it more buttoned up. You know, I got smarter, frankly, uh, having gone to law school at some point and, and better understood these things. We realized there were other 
I say poison pills, that they're sometimes called, but uh, there's we have like key man insurance, buy sell agreements, uh, and then there's certain voting and and um, other rights within our agreements. But there are times where you know that's obviously an example where there, where we are related, literally related parties, and but that's not gonna be the case when you know John Smith's buying from James Doe. So the pros hide to sale, avoids potentially property tax increases. Uh, it also may neuter, another pro is it may neuter some bank requirements because often these are seller finance deals, right? So you don't have to go through the, the hoopla of dealing with appraisals and loan committee and you know perhaps recourse, things like that. Another reason you might want to, a pro, you might want to do this is for grandfathering purposes. Like maybe the current owner has a permit or a, a license or some sort of grandfather status that you frankly can't get. And there's like almost like there's a transfer fee, like a, not an impact fee, but a transfer fee or some sort of uh, neutering of the grandfathering. I, I frankly, I'm not sure that that would hold up. I mean, it's probably a city by city basis, but uh, rarely do those sort of rights run with the owner. They typically typically run with the land, which would, which would not be a problem in a true real estate sale. So those are the pros. Those are the pros, right? And that's why people do these things. Um, not for the cons. And this is why people don't do it very much. The first one is it's complicated, and complicated means it's expensive, frankly, uh, at least relative to a typical sale. I don't know what the legal fees are going to be in this this deal here. I haven't. It's not the end of the month. I haven't uh, calculated them. But if the norm is one thousand for legal fees to, you know, Sherpa the, the transaction. It's, it's, it's not going to be one. It's probably not going to be two. It, it might be three. But then but then when you add in things like the seller finance, promissory notes, real estate, mortgage, you know, other, you know, lease, lease drafting, other ancillary closing documents, it, it, go, it, gets, it goes up and up, right? And I don't think it's going to be 25000 bucks, but it, but it might be five um, instead of one, instead of 1500 So... You know, lawyers ain't cheap. Um, you know, to some degree, you get what you pay for. Uh, it probably makes sense to hire a lawyer if you're going to do an asset purchase agreement. I mean, if, if, if you've got particular skills in this area, maybe not. But uh, that's one of the cons. Complicated and expensive. Another con is you're kind of getting what the seller has, so to speak. Meaning, if the seller, let's say the company is called 123LLC. They already own it. If they got a good phase one, if they got good title insurance when they bought it, and, and to some other degree, things like permits, licenses, surveys, well, then that's what you're going to get. And they ain't got a good phase one. You need to go get one, uh, at least for your own review. Uh, title insurance is harder to get, frankly, because you they, they have some exceptions I've found out from different title companies that they, they don't want you to have, you know, they don't want to insure a currently insured person. So you basically have to hire an attorney to review the title report or title search, sometimes called an owner and encumbrance report, to review that there are no, quote, new problems with the title since the last title policy. Um, one of the reasons next that uh, people say, don't ever do this, it's horrible, is for the risk, meaning, like, what if the last guy didn't lease a home to somebody because they were white, black, or purple. Uh, that's kind of me. Is like they didn't. The last guy didn't get it phase one. 
Well, the phase one, you can update your, yourself, and you want to do that as opposed to just get an indemnification provision. But for the the actions, I'm not as worried about that, to be honest, because you can have a, a, an indemnification provision that says anything before the day of closing is the last guy's fault. Anything after is my fault. Now, that's true, but there's a risk to that. Cause let's, let's say I bought it from, from John Smith today. But yesterday, John Smith did not lease 10 houses in a row because the, the family was purple. Okay, and the purple families might sue me. I'm going to say, point to John, John Smith. Well, they're going to say, we didn't deal with John Smith. We dealt with 123LLC, of which you are the owner. And now I'm in a lawsuit, which means I've already kind of lost. And even though I didn't do anything wrong, you know, I, I'm in the middle of it. And I can point to John Smith and say, look, he indemnified me. But if John Smith has no money, has no credit, has no collateral, it might not work out that well. Now, in a seller finance deal, it's probably safer for me because... John Smith is motivated to have me have me be successful, and there's probably some case law or some some specifics I could get to if I, if I really got in the granular level detail here. That look, John Smith defrauded me. He acted in bad faith. Blah 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 blah. Maybe I can get out of that note, especially if that note is recourse. But there are indemnification risks. But some of that can be can be mitigated. There are complications next with your books. I mean, frankly, if it's today I'm doing this, it's, it's uh, January 15th now. It's 12.15 in the morning. But it's January 15th here. And it's a closing today on this deal. And as a result, the seller is going to have to file a tax return from January 1 to January 15. My client, the buyers, have to file a tax return from January 15 to December 31. And there's going to be there's obviously the normal prorations of rent and taxes and things like that, but there's also a, they have to file separate tax returns. A little a little more complicated. Now, one thing I've heard a lot is, oh, you never want to do this because you're going to get the old guy's depreciation schedule. Uh, frankly, I didn't do any research before this one here. I just I'm kind of shooting from the hip, and I'm not a, I'm not a CPA, so you know, don't tell my wife I said this, but I might be wrong. And it's, it's possible that what I hear is right, that uh, you have to take the old guy's depreciation in basis. Um, I don't think it's right, frankly, because my CPA, who works at a Big Ten CPA firm, did not make me do that when I bought my dad out. Uh, I got a step up in basis because I, because I paid for 50%. Let's say, that, let's say our company was worth $100. I previously owned $50. Uh, but over but our over time our company was worth two hundred dollars so I bought dad's half for one hundred dollars I now have a cost basis of my original 50 plus his hundred for his half so I have a step up I have a 150 dollar basis now dad only had a 50 originally he sold his half for 100 so dad is a 50 dollar gain some of which is depreciation recapture, some of which is return of principal, return of capital, some of which is long-term gain, short-term gain. Um, so I'm not as worried about that step because I think there's a step up. Because I, I mean, I've, I've done it on my tax returns. If the IRS is listening, blame, beep. There, that was me. That was me beeping out my CPA's name so they don't get they don't get sued. But um, they signed off on this. That's that's legit. And I mean, he's really sharp, so I think that's the case. But again. I'm not giving you tax advice or legal advice here. This is for education purposes only. Okay, next. 
a con is this is general business and liability risks. We talked about indemnification, but I mean, they could there could be contracts out there. They could be purchase orders. I was dealing with a, like a grocery distribution deal today, um, kind of unrelated. Uh, it was an investor of mine had a grocery distribution business, and you know you could order I don't know a hundred pounds of potatoes and if you bought the business of the guy that had already made that order you're kind of on the hook for delivering that order um unless you have specifics on you know you know receivables payables deliverables things like that and the real estate business is probably not a lot of that to be honest these asset purchase agreements would be considerably more complicated if you're buying out coca-cola or something like that next uh, another con is that it really jacks with the 1031 exchange. Um, I had a, a new client today. He owns he owned a single family house and he, he did a good job, made money, flipped it, but he owned it in his personal name. Ugh, my ears cringed when I heard that. Well, he wants to do a 1031, buy a mobile home park, partner, and syndicate with some other buddies. Well, practically, with the 1031, you're supposed to buy the next property in the exact same title you did the previous property. So his previous property is in him and his wife's name, which makes it really hard to joint venture in the next deal, right? So for back to the example of the asset purchase agreement, if if I'm buying out the seller, like my deal tomorrow, the seller is, it's like a $4 million deal. The seller is out of the picture. The seller did not sell real estate. You now need real property for 1031, which is a like-kind exchange, a starker exchange. Back in the day, before you know, the 2017 Trump tax cuts were awesome um, in 99% of the ways, in my opinion, especially cost segregation and bonus depreciation, which I got a whole podcast on that. Uh, where they and they also preserved the um, capital gains. They preserved 1031. They exempted real estate professionals from the 3.8% Obamacare tax, which is one of the worst taxes in, in the history of taxes, in my opinion, and nobody knows about it, where Obama just said, let's just tack on 3.8% to real estate transactions. Put the NAR, National Association of Realtors, they opposed it. Um, they're a massive lobby. It went nowhere. Obama Biden just shoved it down our throats. Um, yeah, not a, not, a, not a good move, in my opinion. Unrelated at all to um, to healthcare, but uh, snuck it on. So, anyway, back to ten back to ten thirty one exchanges. Um, the problem is um, during that Trump tax cut, they they cut out ten thirty one exchanges for personal property. They were like major league baseball teams trading players and stuff and trading contracts. People trading a baseball card collection for a stamp collection. Personal property. Uh, personal property, goodwill, going concern, things like that, which is intangible purchase property. Those are almost by rule, or at this point, essentially by rule, distinct from any other. Like, my business is, is, is different than your business, even for both in the mobile and park business. As a result, you can't 1031 it. So the con is, if I buy the membership units of your LLC through an asset purchase agreement, you cannot take those net proceeds and do, go do a 1031, which means you might not want to do it. And then likewise, if I'm buying your membership units with my net proceeds from a preceding deal, 
I can't do 1031 because my preceding deal was if it was not called 123 LLC. At least not in the same state and same genre. So it really jacks up 1031s, um, which sometimes don't matter. The, the deal I'm working on tomorrow, the guy's an old man. He's owned it for, like, I think he's owned it for like 70 years, seriously. And he, he's not going to buy something else. He's going to, you know, ride into the sunset with a, with a bundle of cash. So those are the key cons. I mean, the other, the other big con is the, the, the pro might not work. I got a whole podcast on property tax projections and property tax appeals. And those, are, I think, are pretty sophisticated techniques to avoid a potential property tax increase, in, including things like this as a purchase agreement. I have one park right now where it didn't work uh, because the county appraiser is dumb as doorknob and the county board of equalization is, is, is even, is even d- more dumb and more corrupt. And uh, when I win that tax appeal at the state tax commission... I'll divulge other names. I've already uh, begun to place ads for the billboards to expose them. But I don't do it right now because uh, I'm vindictive. But I'm not I'm not stupid. Um, I'm mostly kidding on some of this stuff, but it's crossed my mind, let's be honest. I'm talking out loud here. Um, but the, my point is that you might not accomplish your goal. The, the key pro of this whole machination of doing the asset purchase agreement is to keep the tax man from knowing via transfer of a deed to the abstract office that you bought the property. But it's possible that the realtor has a big mouth, that the closing agent is his sister, that his nephew was about to buy the same park and now found out it's off the market. So there are things that are not your fault, not your attorney's fault, that just make it happen, that all this brain damage, essentially, going through the asset purchase agreement was for not. But... In some instances, it's a pro. Uh, I hear it said almost all the time that you'd be crazy to do it. I'm not saying it's the ideal situation. I'm just saying there are ways to mitigate the risk, and, and I think there are circumstances where it makes sense to do this. And this isn't just my like little humble opinion here. Um, this happens in retail deals a lot, you know, because retail deals, restaurants in particular, they trade or sell at a multiple that is considerably more than the cost basis based on the credit, right? I mean, to build a Chick-fil-A, for example, you could buy a Chick-fil-A for, I don't know, let's say you could build a Chick-fil-A for, for $2 million bucks. That Chick-fil-A, you know, probably trades at a four cap at this point, maybe even less than that. You could have a $2 million cost basis, but it'll trade based on its income and the credit, especially if there's a 15-year ground lease. That might trade for four or five million bucks. Well, an ignorant assessor is going to chase that. Say, oh my gosh, $5 million real estate value. And now your taxes go up and it just kills your NOI. And depending on if it's a triple net lease or not, that flows through the tenant or it doesn't. And it's advantageous to hide that transaction, which is not a reason to have special purpose entities per property for LCs. But that's another story for another day. Thanks for listening. Drive home safely. God bless. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review and subscribe today. Thank you for listening.
Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.